0: Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: As children, we are forever asking the question, why? Why? Yet, at some point, as we move into adulthood, the question gets easily answered with something similar to, just because. Why did we stop asking, why? Welcome to the Mickey Ellison Show, a program where we not only strive to answer those why questions, but we'll find out how to ask more, and not settle for, just because. Now, here's Mickey Ellison.
2: Good morning, and welcome to the Mickey Ellison Show, and today... We're going to keep ask, asking the question, "Why?" and I'm actually really excited about the guest today. One because it's a personal deal. I actually heard we have Whitney Neal from uh, she's a director of grassroots at Freedom Works, and I heard Whitney on another show recently with uh, is the Andrew Wilkow show. And I'm trying to get Andrew on the show. Whitney, are you there? I'm here. And the the show today is going to focus on our kids and education. And I have a seven year old who is about to be eight, and a twelve year old that's about to be thirteen and we are constantly inundated with with words like or phrases like no child left behind and race to the top and now the big one is common core and i'm hearing all these things that that really concern me about common core but yet i don't have the ability to uh, verbalize what it is that we should be so afraid of with with common core so after hearing Whitney on the sh- on uh, the show with uh Andrew, actually we were with Deneen borelli that day she was filling Hello. in for uh for uh, for Andrew Wilkow and I, I was actually shocked, Whitney. I can't. I heard you on the radio. I came back to the office. and I said I have to have her on the show. And and I immediately emailed, and to my surprise, you answered almost. What was it? Within ten minutes of going off the air.
3: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I was excited for the invitation. This is um, this is near and dear to my heart as well, and it's a topic that you know, more people need to know about and understand. So any opportunity to to spread the message is important.
2: Okay. Well, let's start because I know that you, you, right now, you're you're with Freedom Works, but you started off a, as a you've been a teacher for eight years, correct?
3: So I taught I taught for five. I taught eighth grade U.S. history for five years, just north of Dallas, Texas, in a in a town called Coppell. Um, and what a great experience I got to teach middle school students when you know they're little sponges. You know, between elementary and high school is when you can really you know harness a kid's passion for learning and expose them to all the different opportunities that are out there for them to grow.
2: Yeah, it it scares me with my my 7-year-old because he is a sponge and he copies many things that I do that gets him in trouble with his mom. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, I have plenty of bad habits. But well let's start to to dig into into common core and and the reason uh, with my second grader and, and we talked about this off the air but I'm seeing more of it in my second grader than I am with my seventh grader. My seventh grader hasn't seen a whole lot, but – and it's really interesting when I I start to show reservations with some of the teachers there that they're – you can tell they want to speak, but they're afraid to because for whatever reason. And then there's some others that are just in love with it.
3: Yeah, you know, we see both. It's interesting that you brought up the teachers, and we can kind of go there first if you want, because my experience having been a teacher is that when you go in the classroom, you really want to be able to do what's best for kids. And, you know, you, you said you have a seventh grader. You know, those teachers, they see, you know, usually seven to eight periods of students a day, about 30 kids for class. So you're seeing quite a few students every single day, and and you get to know them and their quirks and their personalities, and you can design lesson plans and design focus for the classroom around those students, around their individual needs. What we're seeing because of Common Core standards, because of the uh, materials and the resources developed around Common Core, and then the intense focus on standardized assessment, that teachers are losing the ability to be those creative problem solvers for their students in the classroom. And and so, yeah, I, I mean, we talk to teachers all the time that say, oh, my gosh, this is horrible. My kids are crying. I'm crying. But we can't talk about it publicly. Please don't use my name because I might get in trouble.
2: That is so, so frustrating. I actually fill in, uh, actually fill in I'm, a, I'm a guest once a week on a local political show here with a, and you would think that I'm into politics and all these things. I'm actually a financial planner for a living. But uh, the, uh, on that show last week, there was a, a guest host, and one of the things he brought up in the show was that we started talking about Common Core a bit, and he said, we're, we're about to have a, a meeting. I'm in Wichita, Kansas, uh, with, with the legislators and, and whatnot in, in the local area. And no, he said we're having a meeting about schools in the local area and name the place. It doesn't matter where it's at. And my first response is I said who 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 are we going to be talking to? He said local legislators. I said you know the guy's name is Bob. I said Bob, I'm really not interested in talking to the legislators. I want to talk to the teachers and I want them to be able to freely speak what what they're thinking because that's whose opinion I I, I do value and you as a teacher for for 5 years and i think most the majority of teachers out there whether it be public or private school they got into it because they love kids yep. they didn't get into it to to uh for any other type of agenda than they loved kids that's why i coach baseball with, with our our younger kids here i coach both the, the kids teams i do it because i love kids but what i have seen so often is and is exactly what you said a minute ago it's starting to teach these kids one to take a test. It doesn't mean yeah. that they that they know anything necessarily. And, you know, I'm going to go off the the rails a little bit and I will sit here and, and admit that I think the majority of education, so called education that we get these days is, is BS. I don't really know any other way of putting it. I actually have a degree up here on my wall that looks really impressive, and people will say, wow, you went to Vanderbilt University. Yeah, I played baseball. I had to go to class to be to be eligible. But I don't know of hardly anything that I learned in those classes. Actually, I don't even remember a professor's name. Is that pitiful?
3: No, I mean, I think that's reality. I think if you ask most adults, they'll say the exact same thing. Yeah, you know, I went to college, but most of the value that I've attained in my career is from internships and job experience, not from what I regurgitated back to a teacher in the classroom.
2: Yeah, and I didn't, by the way, I didn't major in anything to do with finance. And the the best education I got in this business happened in 2000. 2001, 2002, and 2008, and that's a whole another show that I would like to do to talk about some of the mess that's in this industry. But I want to stay focused on this. Okay, now I've actually gone to a website uh, that it's a Common Core State, uh, what's it called? Common Core Standards and yeah. on there is it has a bunch of myths, the so-called myths and facts, and you know what to me is is I see the danger in this is these these words and terminology sounds so so good no child left behind well who wants to leave a child behind race exactly. to the top well I want to finish first well common core now I think you and I will both agree that there are certain standards that kids should be able certain things that they should be able to do before they move on to the next grade is that correct
3: Oh, absolutely. I do. I, I think that we have to have some measurement level for kids, right, you know, to, to move them along through the system. I just don't think that those measures are going to look the same for Virginia and for Nevada and that no teacher in, you know, a teacher in West Virginia teaching second grade to a classroom should not be teaching the exact same way as a teacher in Washington State in a second grade classroom. You know, we just, there's so many unique differences in every child in every classroom and every teacher that something like this common, common core, I mean, they pretty much told us what it was. Um, you know, is dangerous.
2: Yeah, and, and I, you 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 take it out to the bigger level. I even take it to a smaller level here in Kansas. And, and Wichita being the largest city in Kansas, by the way, there is no large city in Kansas. But Wichita well, I being about. have an interesting about...
3: fact for you. As you say that, I was actually born at McConnell Air Force Base. So,
2: <laughs> no, wow! No kidding! No kidding! Yes. So, and uh, and I took all my CFP classes down in down in Dallas, which is pretty close to where you grew up. So that's right. Um, but anyway, I want you to, to, to talk about what are the dangers. Why should I, as a parent, be afraid of, of Common Core for my own kids?
3: So here's, here's a little – I want to take you back into a little background story on Common Core because I think what really gets people's attention is when we start to talk about where it came from. Um, you know, Back in 1996 – um, this group called Achieve is formed, and it's formed by the National Governors Association and the Council of Chief State School Officers. If you're not familiar with those organizations, that's probably another show for another day as well. But they're both based out of Washington, D.C. Um, the National Governors Association, while the governors are quote-unquote members, it's actually run by administrative staffers here in D.C., uh, located right here next to the Capitol. And then the Council of Chief State School Officers is a pay-to-play organization with uh, corporate sponsors and people who pay to become a member, so these are people who are perhaps state school superintendents or school board members, but they pay to join an organization that is also run out of D.C. So those two groups got together and formed Achieve because they were feeling pressure from some of these corporate sponsors to create learning standards for the classroom that are workplace-based. What would create the best possible future workforce? And when we hear hear workforce, you know, that sounds like a great thing, right? We're going to create this, you know, great innovative workforce. It sounds good. So for several years, these organizations did a lot of research. They would have conventions, with people from these corporations where they would come together and they would say, you know, what makes the best worker at your, your, you know, your company? What makes the best worker at yours? What are the common skills that all of these people have? And, uh, at some point Bill and Melinda Gates got involved because Microsoft was, was involved in this. And so in 2007, Bill and Melinda Gates actually pledged $60 million to taking this research and these standards and putting it into American classrooms. And so, you know, you're looking at more than 10 years of research there that went into this and planning and plotting. Um,
2: well, that's you know, scary a, in and of itself. That's scary in and of itself because we had 10 years of planning and plotting going on that we didn't even know was taking place.
3: Exactly. And so then, you you know, you roll around to the Gates' involvement, and um, they released a document called uh, – this is called – there's two documents that people should read if they really want to see in black and white where the government um, and where the social interest groups are coming from. There's benchmarking uh, for success, which is the first one, and then there's blueprint for reform. And so they reached benchmarking for success, and they basically set out the vision for what a common set of national standards would look like. And perhaps the most alarming thing is that they called our children human capital. So they don't call them children, and they don't call them students. They call it the human capital of the future workforce and I mean um, I know my child is not human capital to me he's a unique person who is going to grow up and hopefully achieve whatever dreams he sets for himself whether that be for going to college or a trade school or you know, whatever he starts his own business and I don't want him considered someone's human capital for a you know future work pool and um, so they, they really well, when you say that. human
2: capital it just sounds like well th- they're just like uh, I would consider a cow to be capital
3: yes You know, it's very much that that cogs-in-a-wheel type system. And so they they lay this out in black and white. And about that time, you know, we we obviously had the election. Um, President Obama you know, is is inaugurated and um, names Arne Duncan, from his friend from Chicago, to be the Secretary of of Education. The interesting thing about Arne is Arne was never actually a classroom teacher. So that's an also another story for another day. But he's the Secretary of Education, and he meets with Bill and Melinda Gates, and together they decide that we have to find a way to get these standards in American classrooms. While this is going on, two top members of the Gates Foundation um, are hired on by the Department of Education. One of them is now Arnie Duncan's Chief of Staff, and the other one is heading up a newly created department and bureaucracy within the Department of Education called the Office of Technology and um, Innovation or Improvement, something like that. So you know, we, we've now seen the marrying of, of the Department of Education, the Gates Foundation, and they work by uh, creating Race to the Top. And you made yes. a great point earlier. No and, one and, wants to uh, be against racing
2: to the top, right? <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, how are how are you against that? We're coming up on a break right now, so I want to to expand on that and, and talk about the the. I think you talked a little bit with Danine that the other day about the Special interest groups that are coming in, and and, and frankly, from a, from a crony capitalist type of situation as well. So, um, yeah. folks, we're coming up on a break. Um, Whitney Neal from uh, Freedom Works is with us today, and we will expand more on Common Core when we get back. Keep the faith. Keep the faith.
1: Keep the faith.
4: Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah.
1: Online TV is here.
2: View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio
5: hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit Voice today.
4: Hi, I'm Joe Swedish, CEO of Wellpoint. We proudly support the March of Dimes and all they do to reduce the rate of premature birth in the United States. Though premature births have recently declined. Still, half a million babies are born too soon each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs that help moms and their babies live healthier lives. Please visit MarchOfDimes.com and join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies.
1: To connect with the show today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or you can drop Mickey an email to mickey at money-planning.com. Now back to the
2: show. And welcome back to the Mickey Ellison show. Today we're talking about our kids. For those that are listening to the show that have kids or have grandkids, there's there's nothing more special to us than our own, our own children. And we're hitting the topic of education, which is as first sadly has become so political these days that that if you were to say something against any type of plan that's coming on the immediately immediate attack back at you is well you don't love kids. I have kids of my own. You, you step on my doorstep and you might find out how much I love kids. But, um, I have with me, Whitney Neal, who, who I heard on another radio show, uh, about a week ago, I think it was Whitney. And, uh, Whitney was talking about common core and I have had this feeling that I know I should be against common core. And there's some things that really concern me about it, but how do I actually express that and and express it to, to where, um, I, I can fight back to those who, who do love it. Before we went to the break, uh, Whitney, you were talking a little bit about the the Bill and Linda Gates um, Foundation, and and uh, we talked a little bit about the company. We didn't say any specific companies, but but there might be some financial reasons for for companies to be getting involved in pushing Common Core. So I'm going to let you start where we where we left off, and um, and then I'll ask you some questions to go along with it. And before the end of the show, we'll actually go to CoreStandards.org to act, look at what they're calling myth in fact, and I'll let you answer some of those as well.
3: That sounds great. You know, where, kind of where we left off is the government, you know, Congress offered a stimulus package in 2009. We know um, the ARRA, American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, and within that was Race to the Top funding. And obviously, I love kids. You love kids. We, I was a teacher. You have children. I do, too. No one wants to stand up and say, I don't want my kids to race to the top. And the government knows that. You know, These special interest groups know that. They knew naming it Race to the Top and making it sound like it was a competition um, would be a huge thing. So they asked states to compete for money. Now, let's think back to 2008, 2009. Our states, they're cash-strapped. You know, we, we, uh-huh. we've had recession. Um, you, the states are having a hard time making their own budgets. And so the opportunity to take money from the federal government for racing to the top, improving education, is huge. And so the government says, now, we don't have these standards ready for you yet, but you have to apply to get money. And by applying, you are now required to take These standards, these assessments, this data system tracking, all these things to race to the top. And so these states competed for this funding. And again, this is through 2009 and early 2010. The standards themselves were not released to the public until the summer of 2010, after all of these states had already applied for the money and then become Required to use them and to accept them. And so that's something most people don't know is that states blindly accepted these standards and tied themselves to them.
2: And, and well, that's, then, a, you know, that's a whole other issue, Whitney. What are our state representatives and, and folks doing accepting money from the federal government without knowing what the strings that are attached to it are going to be? I know that we get cash strapped sometimes and, and it's all for overspending. We do it personally. But that that's scary in, in and of itself. It's kind of like the affordable care act that we've we've got to pass the bill before we know what's in it. Well that's stupid.
3: Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's very stupid. And, and, and the shocking thing is, and I say this with a deep sadness, I meet with state legislators on a regular basis around the country because our activists are so upset about Common Core. When I sit down face to face, they will tell me I didn't even know what this was. Many of them did not even know their state was applying for the money and accepting them because this went through governors and it went through state uh, education superintendents and state boards, not through the legislatures. And now we see the legislatures taking action on these things. But when the actual applications were, Filed. It was done so by the executive offices, not through the state legislatures, which is a major problem.
2: Yeah, I mean that sounds like a lot of the a lot of what we're getting from Washington to, today with executive orders that are bypassing Congress and pretty much making them irrelevant. But I do credit some of the states because the states are starting to step up. Unlike our our our. A lot of folks in Washington—they're stepping up, and saying, "No, we're not, we're not doing this." I think uh, Oklahoma has fought it pretty hard. Um, yeah. Is Georgia another state that's fought it really hard? Texas, yeah, all, yeah, Texas fights know. everything hard.
3: Yes. Well, <laughs> well, Georgia, you know, Georgia's fought everything hard. We've actually seen Tennessee. Tennessee has fought very, very hard. Their House, um, last week, the House in Tennessee passed a bill not only to pause implementation of Common Core and reexamine it, but to opt out of the National Testing consortia. We've seen that in Oklahoma. We've seen that in Florida. We've seen that in Michigan. We've seen people try in Ohio and Indiana. Um, there's a lot in North Carolina. We've got a lot of great efforts out there from our people who are really fighting hard to stop this intrusion on our class rooms, um, and, and I'm super impressed with the moms and the dads that, you know, they've never been politically involved before, but this issue, seeing how it's affecting kids, is drawing them, you know, out of the woodwork to come help.
2: Yeah, most of us just want to love our lives, raise our children, and and um, and, and do something positive within our own neighborhood, but it is today we've gotten so busy, it's hard to keep up with. It just seems like we're being constantly, there's this constant barrage of this is coming and this is coming and this is coming. It's creating so much chaos. Sometimes you feel like just throwing up your hands and, and say, so, "You know, I actually told the guy on the show last week that, you know, I am really, really tired of, of talking about politics from from a national standpoint." I, I'll be honest with you, um, Whitney. I think for for the most part, Washington's broke. It's broken. Yeah. And we're never going to fix that until local communities start to step up and really do some things to uh, – To I don't know if you can stop the Leviathan from growing, but you can make it unnecessary as much as possible within your own community. I personally think that the churches could do amazing things to alleviate problems with, with – uh, um, welfare if they would just do what Christ called us to do. But I'm going to get off topic. So now we've talked about Common Core. We've talked about some of these things. Why should I be so scared of like the Bill and Linda Gates Foundation getting involved? Um, and, and what what is what is it that I should be most scared of with Common Core?
3: Well, I think there's a couple things here. Number one is the lack of transparency in the process. You know, I've explained a process that people didn't know what's happening on the ground yet it's fundamentally changing our um, education system and you know classrooms and teachers and parents they should have very transparent communication and access to one another and when the teachers aren't even part of the process in the creation of standards and the implementation of them that's a really scary thing you know teachers were not part of this national process to develop these standards and I mean that's a again that's a story for another day that just how they were written but now we're even seeing national teachers unions saying that the implementation of Common Core is worse than the implementation of Obamacare because of the lack of involvement of, of the teachers who are required to teach these in your classrooms. We've seen all over reports from textbooks and resources that the math, that, that very intelligent adults who are skilled in math are looking at first and second grade math homework and saying, wait a minute, like this, this doesn't make sense. Common Core is process-based when it comes to the math. So you, you've got a situation where we're telling kids, If you follow our process but get the wrong answer, we're still going to give it you credit for it because you followed the process we told you to. So you're creating a mindset in in generations of children that if we follow the rules, if we follow the process, even if we don't get to the right answer, we're still right because we did what we were told. Um, And and so taking a test, you know, instead of knowing that different kids, you know, left brain, right brain, kids learn different ways. Some are tactile, some are audio, auditory, some are visual. We're teaching all of these kids with unique personality traits, different levels of learning, different cognitive levels, the same process at the same time and expecting uniform results. Because yeah, seen... I, I can't imagine in, in my classrooms of eighth graders, I taught history and I had to teach it in very different ways, different times of the day. Uh, kids before lunch could learn yeah. one way better than kids in my classroom after lunch just because of the cycle of a day, let alone everyone having to learn and do the same process.
2: Yeah, and, and I see that in the math with, with my, my seven year old who well, like I said, we're very fortunate the kid is, is super smart. He wound up in, in a spelling bee at, at his school where it was he and two fifth graders on, on the stage at the last at the at the end. And I am bragging on my kid a little bit, but you know, he you is should, you should. he he is having situations where he he is a whiz at the math. But he is losing credit. Yeah, you said something about being able to get some credit for doing the process right and missing the, missing the actual answer to the to the problem. Well, he is trying to figure out how in the world can I get the answer right, and I'm losing credit for it. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean he he has a. You, know, you ask him what. Uh, 7 plus 4 is, and he'll say 11. But then you make him draw all these other little things that that he doesn't need to know how to do because he already knows the answer. Now, I'm not saying that the process isn't important later on in, in math, because there are right. some things that, that you, you need to, once you get the basics of addition, uh, subtraction, multiplication, and, and division, that the process is important to come up with, with the right answer. But I all I see is a kid getting frustrated who should not be frustrated in, in, in class because, you know what, I, I really believe that if you took the old second grade curriculum that they were having to do, the kid probably could be doing third and fourth grade stuff by now. But but he is being held back some because he can't do this, I don't know what this thing was like a line graph type deal yeah. that, that he had on. And it made no sense to me. And, and I, I was fortunate enough. I went all the way through high school and, and college, and I only made one grade below a below an A in math. And I'm looking at this, going, I can't even do second grade math.
3: It's pretty crazy, you know. And and this is just the math portion. You know, you look at language arts, and we've got. Uh, teachers frustrated because the classes have been taken out of out of requirements. Um, the vocabulary has been changed to college and career ready words. You've got requirements to read the EPA manual in high school, and so you know there's a lot of questions about the intentions of of just the language arts standards. And I think that goes back to the organizations that were involved in creating this. It's GE. It's Microsoft, it's you know a lot of insurance companies, and so you know they have a vested interest in certain things being the focus of of these programs and you have publishers like Pearson, who are part of this process, part of creating standards. they also are creating all of the digital and curriculum resources. For for the teachers and for the classrooms, and they're involved in the testing, and so we've created monopolies um, in education where where certain companies their pockets are going to be deep and thick with money from the money from these states that has to go to not only revamping um, the standards, retraining teachers, but buying new materials, new textbooks, new um, digital resources. Most of this stuff is online. The testing is digital. The resources are digital. Um, you're looking at districts where they aren't technology-heavy, having to completely revamp their systems, and then brand new yeah. assessment processes that take time and resource for training and implementation, and then yeah. continuing and, costs.
2: And it's, we're coming up insane. on a br- we're coming up on a break. But I, when we talk about Common Core, I think you just hit the core of why some of these these companies are actually pushing And It's part of the reason we actually have Obamacare today. But folks, we're at the end of this segment. We'll see you in a minute. future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your
1: favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are tuned to The Mickey Ellison Show. To connect with the show today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's one eight six six four seven two five seven eight eight, Or you can drop Mickey an email to Mickey at money-planning.com. Now back to the show.
2: All righty. And welcome back to the Mickey Olson show where today we have with us, um, I just went brain dead over Whitney, Whitney Neal, oh. who was kind enough to, to, uh, be on the air after me sending her an email 10 minutes after she gets off a show with someone else. But, uh, I, this is a personal issue when we're talking about Common Core, and talking about education, and we've hit quite a few subjects in the first two, two segments. But I'm actually on a, a website right now called corestandards.org, and on there, there's, there's, they're talking about myths and truths. So are you looking at, you're looking at the same thing too, right, Whitney?
3: I am. I've got it pulled up right now.
2: All right. Do you want me to just start with the first, the first myth, where it says adopting Common Core or Common Standards brings, means bringing all state standards down to the lowest common denominator? This means that states with high standards are actually taking a step backwards by adopting Common Core. Um,
3: yeah. So I'd love to address that one. Okay. Okay, so here's the thing, you know, um, we work with a lot of experts in, in the academic field, one of them is Dr. Sandra Stotsky. Uh, Dr. Stotsky was actually the head of the Massachusetts Department of Education, and Massachusetts had an amazing education system. They were, you know, far exceeding, you know, the rest of the country in performance, and um, they took a step backward when they accepted Common Core. She's testified all over the country as to her experience looking at the standards, um, looking at the quality of of the standards, looking at the implementation and, and her concerns. Um, a states like Indiana, who also had good um, education standards, they actually saw their education rankings drop after accepting Common Core. So, I mean, that, those are just very factual responses. But at the end of the day, when you create a system where your teachers are going to be evaluated based off your students' performance on a standardized test you automatically set that classroom up to be taught to the middle. Um, you know, I've been in a classroom. I, I've seen the pressures that can be put on teachers to teach to the middle to raise the average of the class's scores to a certain level and then be done. Um, and so, you know, you think about that gifted learner who you know, it doesn't matter, they're going to get, you know, a 90, 95, 100 on the test, versus that learner that's struggling at the 40 to 50 percentile level. Where is that teacher going to focus the bulk of their attention? And, and, oh, absolutely. And that's just a... That's a logical situation to have in a classroom when this is the focus, when those test scores are the focus of what's happening in the classroom. The best of teachers with the best of intentions when they know that their contract renewal depends on their class average on a test. That's self-preservation, you know, for the teacher. Sure. To teach at that level
2: you know it, it was i asked one of the questions at at the last parent teacher conference with our, our second grader and you know they, they have mixed these kids up and, and where you've got that, that kid that's in the 95th percentile with the kids that have the 40 or in the 40th percentile and i just asked the question i said wouldn't it make sense that we take these kids at least the group that's really gifted and put them in one class and then that way you can focus on those other kids that really need help and not hold the kids that are at a higher standard back. And, you know, I think it just boils down to political correctness and not we, – we don't want to uh, discriminate against kids. Well, you're not discri- – you're discriminating against a kid that could just fly if given the opportunity. <laughs>
3: We've created feelings wow. through programs like this for our, our gifted children. You know, the reality is we're supposed to be a country that believes in exceptionalism, believes that we're going to be creative and innovative and we're going to push through all, all, all barriers. And and when you have gifted kids that aren't being challenged, aren't being given the opportunity to grow, um, that's tragic. And I think it puts, a, uh, puts us in a position to look at our future and say, where is the focus of our future? Is it going to be average, or are we really going to be championing those people who can be exceptional? And frankly, I think that that should be an example. You know, we, I, I talked about this a few weeks ago on Fox. We've got a situation where schools are eliminating the honor roll because they don't want to hurt other kids' feelings because oh, they yeah, weren't on the that- honor roll.
2: We've got that going on too. Um, that's, that's not,
3: tragic. Where's the example of something to strive for?
2: Yeah. Well that's, again it gets back to hurting hurting feelings and, and you know, part of life is, is, is hurting feelings. You know, I actually think looking back even on my school experience and, and I'm 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 an old fart, I'm at forty two years old now, but how much of school – think about this, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but we, we constantly ask kids, well, what, where do you want to work when you grow up or what do you want to be? Um, you know, when, they're, when they're 7, 8, 9, 10, maybe 11, they'll talk about, well, I want to I be an astronaut or I want to be this or I want to be that, where they have great aspirations. But later on, it, it seems to me that so much of school, even even in my experience, and I've been out for 20 years now – has been so much driven toward preparing you for a job, want to prepare for a job. We don't teach kids how to pre- prepare themselves for their, their own business. I actually think one of the greatest things that would, could ever happen is teach kids that even their job, treat it as their own small business because technically that's what it is. But, yes. but they don't look at it that way. Um, I, I, am I wrong on that? No, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. You know, we
3: we have to teach kids to be owners of their own process, to celebrate their own victories, and to look at the things that they want to strive to succeed and achieve. And you do that in the workplace. You look at the people who've been promoted. You look at the people who are succeeding, and you say, what can I do to, to get myself there? What are my strengths that I can capitalize on to get there? But it's like, I mean, I... I I can't even imagine. What if we said, okay, well, we're not going to have a Super Bowl because it might hurt the Oakland Raiders' feelings. You know, <laughs> like what is that? No what well, who watches the NFL, you're watching to see your team, the people you have pride in, reach the pinnacle of success. You know, and then we've done that in school. Well, you know, we're not going to have a champion because it might hurt someone's feelings. So it's okay, just you know, be average. It, yeah, well, it doesn't make I, any sense.
2: I think the world of sports is one of the greatest places to look where people are striving for for. Uh greatness because that is a place where you are rewarded for 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 being successful now you're not always rewarded for working hard and, and and you may be rewarded personally but sometimes you just run into people that are just better than you and they work as hard as you do as well but uh you know sports is such a great place and yeah you see that too we you have so many leagues now where we're kids well we're gonna we're gonna all give you a trophy we're not gonna keep score well i promise you which my seven-year-old does play in competitive sports now, but I promise you when he was playing in those leagues where they didn't keep score, he knew what the score was. Yep, absolutely. And he knew whether they won or lost. Well, let's, let's go back. I'm, I'm digressing again. Let's look at um, uh, a couple other myths. It's talking about math. The standards, this is a myth. Stand, the standards do not prepare or require students to learn algebra in the eighth grade as many states' current standards do.
3: So I think this is the concern. You know, basically, it Common Core was supposed to set up um, just learning standards for each grade level, right? And and previously, states and I'll use Texas as an example. Texas had a system where um, students could show through testing or through other things that they could advance in the 8th grade and not take 8th grade math that they could take algebra they could take algebra up to algebra 2 in the 8th grade depending on where they okay. were mathematics wise and then on the flip side they could take a remedial math class if they weren't ready because the reality is and and I think you'll you've got boys right um mm-hmm. You know, you look at them. They, your cognitive abilities develop at different stages, and your ability to think in the abstract is a very important one when you take a class like algebra or you move on to geometry. So, what the Common Core standards has done is instead of preparing students to be academically competitive in the eighth grade and take algebra one, which is where most of the states had gone, had gone to teaching algebra one in um, in the eighth grade level, they've taken that backwards. And they said, well, we're gonna just have, you know, standard math classes through, through grade eight. And we'll, you know, they can take those harder classes when they get to high school. That's concerning for those states like where I'm from, where we had kids taking algebra two by the time they were in eighth grade. And then we had others that we were able to identify and say, you need to be taking, you know, a standard math class. Again, no differentiation. These well, kids seem the ar- to be treating kids like unique individuals at different learning levels, not a bulk mass of kids plopped in one classroom.
2: Sure. One of the arguments I get from, from one of the gifted teachers at, at uh, Jackson School, that's my youngest kid, is that um, the, it is significantly more difficult. Is it significantly more difficult, or is it significant, significantly more confusing? For the kids, because it, I, I've also heard uh, this was what I, I heard this from a, a group of this here at Kansas, Kansans Against Common Core. They said what they've basically done is, is they've they have made it extremely difficult for, say, second graders to to understand because one they're not cognitively ready for what they're asking them to do. Um, and, and the second thing was once they get to the, the, the middle school level, then it then it starts to ease off. What, do you know what I'm even talking about?
3: Yeah, so I think what we're talking about is those processes, those, those fundamental building blocks of math that you normally get in school in through the elementary grades. That would help you be prepared for the type of math that they would teach you in, you know, 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th grade. And they have, a, you, you used the right word, confusing. Um, we hear the word rigor thrown around a lot. You know, we need oh, yeah, that, we need school to be more rigorous. Used. Go
2: ahead.
3: Oh no! You know that's a that's a buzzword, right? You know we, we keep told the Common Core is going to increase rigor. I'd like to see someone's definition of rigor because as rigor challenging the thought process, challenging someone to come up with a creative way of doing something, or is it making the process so hard that you spend so much time trying to figure out the process, getting to the answer never happens. And and so I guess I would depend on what your definition of rigor is. Uh, But, you know, we throw around that buzzword all the time. I hear it everywhere I go. Common Core is more rigorous. These tests are more rigorous. But no one can tell me what rigorous really means.
2: Yeah, and well, here's one that goes at one of the things you talked about earlier, and it says, myth, no teachers were involved in writing the standards. Yes.
3: Well, here's the thing. There was a committee put together of people um, to to write the standards. There were 60 people on the committee. I've talked to people on the committee. Um, There was one current teacher on that committee. So if that's what they're saying, they relied on them.
2: (laughs) Because Uh, they're, they're... Their fact that they throw out here says that the Common Core drafting process relied on teachers and standards experts from across the country. In addition, many state experts came together to create the most thoughtful and transparent process of standard setting. This was only made possible by many states working together. Which again, they didn't actually answer anything about the teachers in that in that uh, with their fact, but no, they also no, they're conveniently vague. Yeah, they're they're talking about transparency. When, how can you be transparent when when you've been working on these standards for ten years and we're just now finding out about them? That's not That's transparent. Right.
3: That's right. And and, and well, the funny thing is, they'll say, "Well, we sent drafts around," and I'll say, "You know, I've asked a couple times for lists of who was on the committees, who was on the validation committees, who they sent these drafts to." There's no transparency there. Um, you know, a lot of times they'll say. Uh, you know they talk a lot about international benchmarking and how the United States lags behind in international rankings, and so you 'll see you know some think tank has compared our test scores to Finland and China and Singapore and Brazil and all these other countries, and they 'll say you know we We've consulted with all these groups and we've done these standards to internationally benchmark them. Well, there is no way to actually internationally benchmark standards because we're not teaching the same standards as they are in Brazil or China or Finland. So that's the first thing to knock off the list. The second and most powerful thing to remind people is, yes, we need education reform. But modeling ourselves after China or Singapore or Korea, as they suggest through the Common Core initiative, is not a good idea. And comparing our test scores to them is not apples to apples. Um, And and
2: Whitney, I'm going to have to cut you off on that one because we're running right up on a break. But I want you to continue on this. And and there's one other myth that I really want you to hit on, which is the Common Core standards will result in a national database. That's the one that scares me the most. Folks, we will be back in a minute.
5: Oh the Talk,
4: talk, talk That's all we do is talk. Yeah!
1: tuned to the mickey ellison show to connect with the show today please call 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or you can drop mickey an email to mickey at money-planning.com now back to the
2: show Welcome back. This is Mickey Ellison. I have with me today Whitney Neal from Freedom Works, and we're talking about Common Core and some of the things that should be scaring us a little bit and educating ourselves a little more on that. And also, if you if you go on to the, the website or you're listening and you have more questions, you can always email me at Mickey at money-planning There is a website coming soon too, Whitney. So we'll we'll be able to, to go to that. But I I didn't plan on doing a radio show, so I don't have a I don't have a website. This themickeyelisonshow dot com, but before we went to the break, you were talking um, about some of those those international standards. You want to uh, talk more about that?
3: I do. You know, we are we see a lot. I mean, the the, the media you know perpetuates this narrative that our kids are are failing internationally. And while I agree, look, you know, I was a teacher. I think we need education reform, but I think it's localized education reform. And when you look at test scores, you know, in the United States, we educate all children. We believe fundamentally that every child um, has the right to have access to a quality education. And and we educate all children. We test them all. You know, we do that here. And so when our scores are reported, we're reporting 100% of our students' uh, test scores. Go look at a country like China or a country like um in Korea, where they don't test all of their children and report those scores. So we're expected to believe that our 100% test score is an accurate representation in these rankings, when really it's our 100% versus the top 25, top 10% of some of these other countries, where children do not even move along in the education system if they do not score high enough on these tests. And so there is no apples-to-apples international comparison of our students' To these students from other countries. And China themselves, and and just people, if they just want to Google, over the last two years, they've been going um, through a fundamental reform of their own system, from a nationalized system to a regional and local-based education system, because they studied countries like the United States, where we were kicking their tail in patents and innovation, and saying, our national system isn't working for us. We need to go more local. So while they're trying to be more local, we're looking at them and saying, "Oh, to compete with them, we need to go more national." So it's, it's but, but a very backward situation we have here.
2: Yeah, and, and we're not we're not comparing apples to apples, as you said. And and um, it, it just is amazing to me that, that we're trying to make decisions on on international standards based off. Of, there have to be people within these organizations that know that they're not getting one hundred percent of the, the students. And I don't understand what the what the agenda would be behind that. I do want to get to one other thing that, that is actually a major concern of mine, especially with what we've going on right we have going on right now with the NSA and all these data collection things going on. But on here it says uh, one of the myths is the Common Core state standards will result in a national database of private student information. It says in the fact that there are no data collection requirements, there is a word, for states adopting the standards. Standards define expectations for what students should know and be able to do by the end of each grade. Implementing the common core standards does not require a data collection. Um, The means of assessing students and the use of the data that result from the assessments are up to the discretion of each state and are separate and unique from the common core. So what do you say to that?
3: Okay, well, I say this. They're very good at um, trying to keep Common Core separate from Race to the Top. But the reality is Common Core was provided to the states through the Race to the Top grant process. We know that 44 states, the District of Columbia, four territories, and all Department of Defense schools applied to and accepted Race to the Top. Applied for uh, Race to the Top funding. Not all of them received money. But because they applied for it, they are attached to the requirements in it. And through Race to the Top was the requirement for state longitudinal data tracking. And they promote it by saying, if Bobby lives in Vermont and Bobby's family moves to California, there'll be this great file that follows Bobby from Vermont to California with all of his information in it. Um, And Race to the Top, which is how we got Common Core, so they are connected, um, does that. Now, Common Core itself is not data tracking, right? We we have to look at it through the umbrella of Race to the Top. Um, Okay. And then the assessments, how do they get all of this information? It's through these assessment systems, through these data-driven uh, resources that are provided to the classroom, and um, through the companies that are creating these that, that are also part of, of the development of Common Core. So we're looking now at, at, at In Bloom and Amplify and Wireless Generation and these companies that are going to profit off of selling these resources to the states. Because at the end of the day, now other federal funding that states whether they took Common Core standards or did not take them is tied to the assessments, and of course the assessments are tied to these databases. So we've got a, a what we call "all oh, what the webs we weave." There's a there's a tightly woven web of requirements that tie states to this data tracking. Yes, technically separate from Common Core in essence, but not because we got all of this through race to the top. If that makes any sense. <laughs> um, uh-
2: yeah, well, it, that doesn't make any sense to me because they they talk about a student moving from Vermont to, to you said California in yeah. the example you gave, but didn't we already have a way of being able to transfer that information to the school and that was in California because we all have transcripts? We needed those to actually get in to apply for college, so. Um, are they trying to say that that's a, a way of just streamlining it, making it easier, or, or I, yeah, I,
3: they are. They are, and, and and the scary thing is that these these files, right? This data file on your child, it's not just on your child; it's on you. If you look at what data is collected through these longitudinal data systems, it's things like religion, income, um, the health and vision screenings, all the test scores, and also subjective teacher teacher data collected in the classroom. So teachers can go in and check off characteristics of the child. We have, we've had um, in the state of Delaware. I was in Delaware presenting to a school board, and one of the moms came up with a survey that her fifth grader had taken in the classroom for the purpose of data collection. And one of the questions was, what is your sexual preference? Um, have you ever done drugs? Have you ever had sex? Has anyone in your family ever done drugs? Have your parents ever been arrested? Questions like that, all of that information. And this she, is a fifth grader? Fifth grader fifth grader. All of that information then feeds into this database and will follow that student from place to place. So it's not just a student file, it's a family file. And if you follow Race to the Top funding, they've introduced early childhood Race to the Top, which starts this level of data collection at three years old. Oh my gosh. In preschools that accept any form of federal funding, um, like the Head Start programs, and so we've seen expansion of the data. And and I, you probably should do an entire show just on the partnership with the Department of Education and the Department of Health and Human Services with these databases, because the. Well, you're welcome exists. back.
2: To, you're welcome back to do that show.
3: I'd love to. I'd love to explain a little bit about how they've created this partnership, um, including things like home visits. Uh, we're seeing home visits in these preschool programs through uh, through the, the schools, calling Health and Human Services and having them do home visits with these parents. Uh, so, you know, it, all of this is tied and connected. Common Core is one piece of a larger, a larger bigger puzzle of, of intervention here from the federal level.
2: Uh, well, Whitney, I, we're coming close to the end of the show. We only have about a minute and a half left. So um, anything else that you want to throw out there, um, ways that people can, can find you to get more information, um, and, and and whatever you want to say in the last minute before we have to go? Because I, 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 we could have done a five-hour show on this, I think.
3: Oh, I think so, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to to get this message out there. Um, I encourage anyone who's listening, if you feel like reaching out, um, I'm on Twitter 24-7. It's at Whitney, N E A L. You can hit me up on Twitter, and then I'll share email and, and all that other information with you. But I uh, just connect with your teachers. Find out what's happening in your local school. Talk to your kids. Look at their homework. Ask to see their tests, Be an involved parent. Start there. You'll find out, does your child's teacher actually even like Common Core? what is being done at the local level in your community to help get rid of this? Uh, we've seen school boards sign opt-out resolutions saying that they are encouraging their state to opt out of Common Core. There's a lot of things you can do at the local level. And then at the state level, contact your legislator. Let them know you're concerned about this. Let them right. know you want your, them to have more info. Well,
2: We are at the end of the show and, and I hate to cut it off right now because I, I really, there's so much information. It's so confusing out there. Folks, we're, I want you to come back next week. We will try to get Whitney to come back again. She's already agreed. You've heard that on the the show. And, uh, folks, we will never stop asking the question why. See you next week.
1: Thanks so much for joining us on the Mickey Ellison Show. Mickey plans to be here again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We hope you'll be here, too.
0: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com.